my microphone on. I left it on. I left it on after practice. No, it's on now, yeah. It's just I forgot to turn it off after practice.
Good morning. Let's stand all over the house this morning. Let's sing this old hymn of the church. Just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. scripture and prayer. Will you just take a moment and, and uh, intermingle this morning and welcome each other to church? 
Well, good morning. Praise the Lord. Everybody said hi to anybody else need to say hi to somebody? We are happy that you are all here. Matter of fact, if everybody wants to bring somebody else next week with them, that's fine too. We'd be more than happy to have them. <coughs> this morning I like to read from Psalm 57. It's a prayer for deliverance. Now, Randy, why'd you pick that? Well, I look at four dollars of gas in a pump, and I'm going like, Lord, we need deliverance. Um, and and I, I'm not making this political. It's all about the Lord watching out for us. Because I worry about the young lady that's got a job and a kid, and she's got to make ends meet. And the young couple out there. Because Carol and I, I can remember when I had five bucks to my name, and you know, payday wasn't two weeks away, and worrying about it. So, I have a prayer for deliverance this morning. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me. Into the midst thereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations, for thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. And we should sing that to the rooftops. To him be the glory for all that he does for us and for all that he does for everybody else. Because he is the answer. You can say about anything else you want to say, he is the answer. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Kind Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise your holy name, Lord, for everything you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for lifting us up. We thank you for being with us and helping us. Lord, every day we give thanks for you, for all that you have done for us. Lord, I pray that you will touch those that are sick and cannot be here, Lord. I pray that you will be with them, touch their bodies, and heal them. For those that have to work today, Lord, I pray that you will be with them. Lift thy burden and make their burden light. Lord, help them to enjoy the work that they do to where it's not work, but a joy. And help, let them work as unto you, Lord. Help us to do all that you would have us to do. Help us with the music today. There will be a sweet, sweet savor to your ears. Lord, help us to... Say the words you would have us to say as we pray. And, Lord, as the pastor gives the word, that you say the words you would have us to hear, that we can further thy kingdom. Lord, be with each of us, we pray in Jesus' holy, precious name. We'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. Amen. Amen. Let's remain standing this morning. Let's stand back and worship the Lord today. The Bible said this is the day that the Lord has made. Therefore, we are to rejoice and be glad in it this morning. So let's just sing that today.
he's in the house this morning. Well, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He said he was just in time. I'm going to praise his name. He's saying it's just the
Father, we love you today. We magnify and we glorify the name that is above every name. Father, from the very first note that was sung to the last note that is being played, we have felt your presence in this place. Father, we worship you, we glorify you because we know there is no other name under heaven and earth by which men must be saved but at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are God to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we feel your presence and your spirit all over this room and auditorium today. Father, I pray that, Lord, as we get ready here in just a moment to break the bread of life, that, Father, you would speak to the hearts of your people. Don't don't let them hear a message from a man, but let them hear a word from the Lord. They don't need a message from another man. They need a word from God today. And, Father, we commit this service into your care. Lord, we ask that everything that has been done in this place would bring glory and honor unto the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. And that we will forever give you the praise and the glory and the honor. And the people of God together said amen. 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 If you remain standing, if you'll grab your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll flip over to Matthew chapter 18. Just because we're getting ready to break the bread of life doesn't mean you have to stop worshiping the Lord. I had the Spirit of the Lord speak to me this week and put this phrase in my head, and I I never really heard it put this way before. But I felt in my prayer time this week that we don't need another message from a man we need another word from the Lord not a message from man but a word from God see anybody can give you a message but only God can give you a word a word as you're turning there to Matthew chapter 6 don't forget those watching online you can always find us on SantiCircleCOG.org for more information There's also uh, VBS coming up uh, that we want you to sign up for if you haven't already done so. Also, camp meeting is coming up. You can watch that on Facebook, uh, online uh, for that as well. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse number 14. It's going to be in the King James Bible on your screen. Uh, Don't think the pastor has lost his mind, but I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard Bible this morning. Because uh, I like just the way it reads, but it'll, it's the same context and meaning. Don't I, I diligently searched to make sure that there was no ambiguity or issues uh, where we lost translation, and it was not. But I, I'm going to read it a little bit different. So if I say some words different than on the screen, it's it's uh, it's just because I'm reading from a different translation. But we're going to read verse 14 and 15, and then we'll flip over to Matthew 18. For if you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. 
Now, before I even go, we can go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 18. But before I go any further, let, let me just go ahead and, and uh, just tell you what he just said. You can hold on to all the animosity, bitterness you want to. But if you can't forgive the person across the aisle, don't think God's going to forgive you and let you through the pearly gates. Now, I know some of y'all said amen, but you better be careful what you just agreed to because amen means so be it. So for all you that just said amen, remember, you better hope you don't have an ought with your brother because if you can't forgive the person across the aisle, God ain't going to forgive you in heaven. Hello, preacher. I'm preaching better than you're responding this morning. Now, look at what Peter does. Peter comes up to Jesus one day after Jesus has been talking about prayer and how should we pray and being disciplined to pray. And Jesus is telling them about, you know, if anybody believes and they touch any one thing, two or three gather, I'm in their midst, all this stuff. Then Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who wrongs me or sins against me? Now I'm really going to preach to you, so go ahead and put your seatbelt on because I'm about to take you to church. Because I've been waiting all week. I've been having this message in my heart for three weeks. And I'm ready for it today. I'm guns loaded and bare. I'm ready for you today. I'm coming for you. I'm coming from your heart because I don't want you to go to hell. That's what I'm coming for today. Listen to what he says. How often if somebody screws me over, somebody messes me up, somebody wrongs me, God, how long do I have to forgive them? Just seven times in that God's divine number of completion? Just seven times and it's over. Jesus said, well, I don't say that. Not seven times, but 70 times seven, which is 490 times. Now, before you start thinking in your head, well, pastor, see, Jesus gave us a definite number. No, no, no. Because there's no way you can remember if you have forgiven someone 490 times accurately. There's no way if someone wrongs you, you can remember if it's been 490 times they've done you wrong. There's no way you remember that, which means it's supposed to be unforgettable. You forget about it, let it go, and, and, and it's not one of those things where you sit there and go, oh, well, there's a, that's 397, so they got a few more left. To te- no, 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 that's not how that works. In fact, Jesus says it like this. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who wanted to settle his accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one of them owed him 10,000 talents, which was brought to him. But he didn't have the means to repay it, so the Lord commanded that he be sold his wife, his children, all that he had to repay the debt. But the servant fell down in the ground, prostrated himself before him, begging for mercy, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you everything I owe you. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion. So he released him, and he didn't just release him. He forgave every debt. That is a lot of money. We'll talk about that in a minute. He just wiped the slate clean. But that same slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. He seized him by the throat and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe me. But he was unwilling. As the servant said to him, Please have patience with me and I will repay. But the servant was unwilling and he threw the man in prison until he paid back his debt owed. When the fellow slave saw what had happened, They were deeply grieved, and they reported it back to their Lord, all that had happened. Then summoning the wicked slave, the Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded for mercy. Should you not have also shown mercy to your fellow slave in the same manner which I showed you mercy? 
And the Lord was moved with anger this time, handed him over to the torturers that he should repay that which was owed him. My heavenly Father, verse 35 says, will also do the same to you if you do not forgive your brother of their wrongs. Don't miss what I just read to you today. Don't sit here and expect God to forgive you or your spouse to forgive you or the preacher to forgive you but then you go across the aisle and you choke the other person metaphorically by the throat and says, but you wronged me. If you can't, Don't expect forgiveness if you can't forgive. That's good preaching even if we don't want to hear it. I'm starting a new series called Once Upon a Time. It's a VBS-themed series, but this morning I want to talk to you on something that's going to be transformational. Sometimes you've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. Because I am tired of seeing the church world and the, around us in this world imploding because people in the church, I'm not talking, I'm not even preaching to the world today. If somebody's watched online and they're living in sin and they're in the world, I, I know this message is for them and, and they can get saved and God bless them, but I'm preaching to church people today. God told me to come preach to the church today because how in the world are we going to get the world right we can't even get along with each other in the same building? So don't come to my office and start whining and belly aching and moaning and groaning about all your problems when I know good and well you got a speck in your eye, but you got a plank in your eye, but your brother's got a speck, but you got a two by four in your eye. So don't come asking me to pray for God to bless you when I know God's already cursed you because you ain't forgiven. Come on, preacher. We can act nominal in here all we want to, but I still thought when I pulled in this morning, that church, that church sign up there said Church of God, which means we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody better help me, preacher. You're going to be miserable this morning. You've got to let it go. Because if you don't, God won't. And if you don't want God to put on the jumbotron of heaven everything you've ever done wrong, you better on earth better make sure you don't put everybody else's jumbotron of wrongs on their lives on, in, in earth, on earth. Come on, somebody. Heavenly Father, to the best of my ability, help me to preach your word. Of the world, preach the unadulterated word of God. God, I'm asking that every man, woman, boy, or girl does not hear what the preacher says, but hears what God says this morning in this house. And I will forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. God, let us not just be hearers, but doers of this word. And we will forever commit this and settle them in the portals of glory. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, the people of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord, but don't worry, you won't be comfortable today. I'm not going to make you comfortable. You might be in a padded pew, but it's going to get hot, and I did not install seat warmers today. You're going to feel it today. In 2013, Disney Animated Studios created the number one highest grossing animated film of history called Frozen. It grossed more than any other animated film in human history up to that point in date. It was an estimated $1.3 billion in revenue on its making of this movie. This princess-style themed movie started out with, like every other Disney classic, two beautiful princess girls living in this beautiful princess castle, and everything's looking all hunky-dory and great. But one day, one of the sisters, after the parents have died and some tragic things have happened and some different things, the parents died, and one of the, old, the oldest daughter... Uh, gets a little frustrated in an event 
and, and lets the anger get the best of her. She used to wear these gloves to protect her from her, her, her a power of ability to freeze things. And so she wore these gloves to keep everything, kind of keep her hidden secret, if you will. See, the Bible tells us that when we put things in secret places, God opens them up for everybody to know. So you can hide anything you want to from the preacher this morning. You can hide it from your spouse. You can hide it from your neighbor. You can hide it from the person beside you. But the things you do in secret, the Lord will make known openly. So you can only hide it for so long. Because ready or not, God one day is going to split the eastern sky like a good game of hide-and-go-seek. And one day he's going to say, ready or not, here I come. And you can hide like Jonah all you want to, but a fish will find you at the belly of a whale. You can run like Peter all you want to, but God will find you on the side of a beach somewhere and say, Peter, how many times do you love me? You can run, but you can't hide from the Lord. You can eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil like Adam and Eve and hide in the garden. But God one day is going to walk in and say, I'm calling you by name. Where are you? You can run, but you cannot hide from the Lord. The Bible says that the things that are done in secret becomes made manifested in the light. The things done in darkness comes to light. And in a fit of rage, she someone pulls her glove off and she freaks out and she does her hand and she lets the world know that she has this ability to freeze things. And they all of a sudden, these men in that movie say she's a sorcerer. They want to kill her. She takes off running. Now she's split from her family. As the movie progresses, her young, naive sister falls in love with a man and, and she wants her sister's blessing. These sisters, Elsa and Anna, used to play together. In fact, the title track of that song, one of the most famous songs, is, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Ride our bikes around the hall. They, they, they talk about the memories they shared as little girls. But now they don't speak to each other. Listen to what I just said. They don't speak to each other. There are people sitting in our auditorium, people sitting in auditoriums across this nation that used to be best friends. And now they won't even speak to each other. They don't want to ride their bikes around the hall. They don't even want to be on the same hall with that person. Come on, preacher. That's good preaching. But the reality of the fact is, but God says that you have to let it go. Because the reality of it is they go to the frozen castle of the older sister and they ask for permission and she gets mad again. Creates this big sand mo- uh, storm, uh, snow monster to try to chase them. And when they come back, the other people in town come and they come to the older sister and they trap her. And they're getting ready to kill her. And at the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it, I'm so sorry, I'm going to ruin it for you right now. Uh, that's okay, though. At least you can save yourself a box of tissues. At the end of the movie, they go to shoot her. But her sister gets in the way. The one that has not been spoken to. The one that I haven't talked to you in a long time. When the rubber met the road, when the road got hard, when it got difficult. The old adage, blood thicker than water. When it got really hard. The younger sister stood and took the dagger instead. And her hair began to turn white. She began to freeze to death, basically. Her oldest sister is devastated. They arrest her and they, everything's devastated. But all of a sudden, towards the end of the movie, she unthaws. 
Why did she unthaw? Because she learned to forgive and let things go. In fact, in that movie, you have come to everybody came to know a very lovable character by the name of Olaf. Olaf became the hit. It wasn't about the princesses. Everybody loved Olaf. He was the snowman. Olaf was created as the little snowman for them to play with. He talked about one day what would it be like to live in summer. Except he didn't realize that summer meant he'd melt. And at the end of the movie, they kind of let him see summer, except they put a snow cloud over the top of him so he would still stay cold. But the title track that became the number one gross requested soundtrack, you know, every movie has all the soundtracks. The number one downloadable song of Frozen was this song, Let It Go. Let it go, let it go. I can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. The cold doesn't bother me anyway. See, that's the same. Long before Elsa and Anna ever understood this principle, God 2,000 plus years ago stood at the base of a hill called Calvary. And he picked up an old rugged cross and he put it in the ground. And when he put it in the ground, he looked to the Father and he said, Father, they don't even know what they're doing, what he's saying is, God, I'm going to forgive them because they don't even have a clue what's going on down there. And he said, it is finished. When he walked down into hell and he met the devil face to face as we talked about at Easter and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, what he was telling the devil is you got to let go of hell and you got to let go of the grave and you got to let go of their sins. And when he got back to heaven, he looked to the Father and said, but I was wounded for their transgression and I was bruised for their iniquity and the chastisement of my peace was laid upon them and by my stripes they can be made whole. That's why Jesus could say, if any man wants to go to heaven, he needs to come by me. Let him come through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. When I submit myself to an old rugged cross and I ask Jesus to forgive me, it's like Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father looks at the Father and says, we got to let it go. we got to erase the sin. we got to pardon the dead. My blood's already covered. we got to cast it as far as the east is from the west. we got to let it go. It has to go. It has to be let go. See, some folks are stuck in things because they haven't learned the power of forgiveness. They won't let go of things. They keep holding arrows and putting them back in a quiver, waiting to shoot them at the next available opportunity. See, they don't know what the power of forgiveness and the healing that it brings. I read to you this morning in our reading of a servant that owed his master 10000 Talents. The talent was an estimation of about 15 to 20 years worth of wages. So if he owed 10,000 talents, he was indebted for 150,000 to 200,000 years of income. Think about what I just said. He would have had to work over 150,000 years full time to pay the debt off. That is impossible. Possible. If you took the talent in today's currency, you would be owing somebody somewhere of about $3.9 billion in debt. You ain't going to pay that off in a, in overnight. When their creditors are standing at your house saying we're foreclosing on everything, selling you to a slave camp, concentration camp, till you can pay $3.9 billion, you wouldn't even live long enough to get it paid off. 
When we were dead in our trespasses of sin, there was no amount of money, there was no amount of goods, righteousness we could have ever done to pay back the debt we owe Jesus for going to the cross. There's no way we could have paid that off. But that servant says to the Lord, but God, please have mercy on me. And the Lord forgave the debt completely. Could you imagine if you owe $3.9 billion and they just said, never mind, don't worry about it. Boy, you better be in church praising God for the rest of your life for that debt. I'm just thankful when they send me a refund check at the end of the year for I pay too much on my health insurance premiums. It's only like 30 bucks, but I appreciate the 30 bucks nonetheless. If they just handed me a $3.8 billion thing and said, hey, don't worry about it, you ain't got to pay it, I'd be like, thank you, Jesus. I'd tithe off it. I'd, I'd build you into the building. I'd tithe off that check. Just wipe it clean. Go on. You would think that people would be grateful for what God does. <laughs> Lord, you got to help me. It's about to get deep. You better put your waders on or you're going to drown. But instead of that man being thankful for what the Lord had done for him, we just sang it, look what the Lord has done. Instead of the man being thankful for what God had done, he ends up going to find the people that had done him wrong and demand repayment for wrongs. In fact, he doesn't just say, hey, the man, the, his servant owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii was the equivalent of one day's worth of work. So the man only owed him three months and one week, basically, of money. 150,000 to 200,000 years of income or three months of income. That's a big disparity of income. In today's society, the first man got erased $3.9 billion. The second man's debt was only about sixteen grand, No more than a good car payment. I mean, a good car price. That's it. That man grabbed him by the throat. Began to choke him, the Bible says. It says, you pay me my 16 grand or else. He was greedy. And when the man couldn't do it, Brother Mike, the Bible said he threw him in the prison even though he owed 200,000 years worth of work. And when the Lord heard it, he said, you wicked man. I just wiped away an, ins an insurmountable, unpart. You couldn't have even paid off your debt if I would have called the creditors in. And I forgave it, but you can't forgive somebody one good Toyota Corolla? That's all you're worth? I just eradicated a multi-billion dollar debt, and you can't forgive them because they stole your Corolla payment. What is wrong with you, sir? And he gets angry, and he throws that wicked servant into jail. Now, before we look at that story and think, wow, that was just not the right thing to do. God has forgiven every one of us if we have came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Every one of us in this building has been forgiven an impardonable amount of debts we could have never in a million years paid off. And you can't speak to the person across the aisle because they sat in your seat or they said something. You can't forgive somebody across the street. I, I just went to a nominal church. Everybody just shut me down. What happened to the people? Let me preach to this section. Y'all look happy. I have been forgiven of something I never could repay. But I can't forgive someone who wronged me 
just across the hallway at school or just across the cubicle at the office. They didn't even pay. They didn't die for my sins. But I can't forgive them. If you do not forgive your brother of his wrongs, the Heavenly Father will not forgive you of yours. I don't know how much more clear I can make that sound this morning to this church. You're not going to heaven if you can't get along with people on earth. That's just that simple. I don't know how else to play, plainly say it. You can get mad, sad, glad, hate me, leave the church and not come back next week. But you know what? You still ain't going to heaven until you come make it right with me. Because you cannot go to heaven unless you have clean hands and a pure heart. And unforgiveness is not a pure hands and clean heart. So the first thing I want you to understand is this. Forgiveness does not keep score. It loses count. Somebody better thank God for that one today. Because 1 Corinthians 13 tells me this. Love keeps no record of wrong. I didn't write the book. I just read the book. Some of us should get back in the book. We should get off of Facebook, put our face in a book called the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. That's still the book for me. We got too many people trying to be on Facebook rather than put their face in the book. I'm telling you, if people start reading this a little bit more, they find their answers a little more often. Facebook's not going to fix it. Washington's not going to fix it. Put your face back in this book. This is the best book you'll ever put it in. Forgiveness does not keep score. It loses count. It loses count. $3.8 billion. So I started thinking about this because I am a visual learner. So I thought, you know what? I want y'all to see what I see in my head when I think about this stuff. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand because I don't want to have the altar call right now for you to have to repent. I'll give you that moment here in a few minutes. but, But I want you to at least have a few more minutes to feel like you're okay with God. Because in a minute, you're not going to feel so good. But here's what some of y'all do. You create Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, I made this. I spent hours working on this, and it made my day. I loved making this. It was exciting for me. Because I thought to myself, I could put some people's names in here that literally could fit this Excel spreadsheet. Now, all these names are just ambiguity. I didn't really do that. But see, look at that. So what we do is we do this. Well, we've got Brianna, we've got Brother Larry, we've got Randy, we've got Andrew, and we got Sister Carol up here. You know why I picked them? Because they won't get offended. Some of y'all would if your name was on this screen. That's good preaching if I am the preacher today. Boy, let me preach there for a minute. Some of y'all, some of us in this building and some of us in this world wear our feelings on our shoulders so tightly that if just a guff puff of wind blow by, we'd be mad at the wind for knocking something off our shoulders. Because you'd get mad just because I used an illustration. Some of us can't get past our noses despite spite anything else in the world. Why? Because we're too self-centered on what we want rather than what God wants in our lives. I just had to get it off my chest. Wrong's done. Well, we say, well, the first time, Brian only wronged me six times. Well, Brother Larry's done it a few more times. He's done it 16 times. Brother Randy, 13. Brother Andrew, 19. Sister Carol's done it nine. That was the first time. But the second time, well, Brad only did it once. Brother Larry, five times. And Brother Randy, three. And Andrew, four. And Sister Carol, two. Now, some of them weren't really big hurts. They were like small things. So there was only a few things that were small. But like Brother Andrew, most of his that he did to me, they were small things. They're not really big deals, but they still are are memorable. So I categorized them in my little Excel spreadsheet. Y'all laugh, but just because you feel guilty. Y'all know I'm preaching better than you're shouting today, and you know it. Then the rest of us, we put major hurts. 
Well, she did it one time to me. They did it four times. They did it six times. They did it three times. They did it two times. Well, you know what? Some of these were more than two offenses. Then we start calculating. 70 times 7, 490 times. Some of y'all do this. Well, I've already forgiven her multiple times. How many more I got to do? I've forgiven her five times. She only did six things wrong. I gave her, forgave five out of the six. I gave, forgave him nine. I forget. I, gosh, Andrew, I've forgiven him 11 times. Good Lord, son, how many times? You're already in double digits. And then we do this. Well, I'm still angry. Because out of the six things she did, I was mad. Out of the 19 things, I was mad at the moment. And then we do this. Are we still friends? Yeah, I still can be friends. Well, Brother Larry and I, that's still to be determined. Depends on how he treats me this week. <laughs> see, that sounds funny, but it's reality. That's what people do. Well, I'm going to wait and see what they get me for my birthday first to see if I'll forgive them. That's good preaching even if you don't want to hear it. Well, I'm going to see if they get me a Christmas gift this year because if they forget me at Christmas this year, then I'm definitely not being friends with them anymore. I was just waiting to see if they got past their hurt. Oh, if they call me first, I'm not calling them. They'll call me first. If they don't call me, then that will go from TBD to no. Hello? Brother Randy and I, we're on, we're on shaky ground. We're still slightly friends. We're more like acquaintances. We still can tolerate each other, but he's on thin ice. Some of y'all have heard that phrase. They're on thin ice. Isn't it funny that we're talking about a snowstorm and letting it go and it's all about ice? It's on thin ice. Brother Andrew's done so much to me, we can't even be friends anymore. I'm just mad at him. We're done. I'm going to write him off the wheel. See, all this sounds funny, but this is what we do to people. And then we say, here's the total number of hurts. And then we have our percentages. Well, Brother Andrew's done it the most. Then Brother Larry, then Brother Randy, and Sister Carol, and then Brianna. These are the how my anger was. I, I really got mad at Andrew and Brother Larry. Brother Randy was like 50-50, Sister Carol not so much, and Brianna, I let it go. See, see we, we categorize it. What if God put yours up here? What if this morning it said, wrongs done by Jonathan Vaughn, bar graft of God still angry, wrongs done the first time I offended God. wonder how many would be in that box. The second time I screwed up, how many would be in that box? I wonder how many times I've hurt the heart of God. I wonder how many would be in that one. More than one offense, more than two I wonder how many times he's forgiven me compared to how much I've forgiven somebody else. Boy, is that going to be a big disparity in number. See, that's how we treat life. Forgiveness doesn't keep score. It loses count. See, a mathematical formula is to take a formula that has been proven and effective and accurately apply it to a new problem encountered to get the desired result. In Excel spreadsheets, if you put the right formula, it will do what is called computation. It will compute it for you. But if you put the wrong formula in, you will get something that will say error. It doesn't work. See, God's mathematical equation is going to always give you an error because forgiveness is a part of the equation for God. You have to forgive to be forgiven. If you don't do that, you're going to get error. And when you stand before God, God's going to say, you stand before me in error and I cannot let you in. Because it's not computated properly. You remember the story of Joseph in Egypt? What if he'd have stood there when his brothers came back and he finally had the opportunity? I mean, it was his moment. You threw me in a slave. You threw me in a ditch, in a pit. You sold me to slave traders, human traffickers. I haven't seen my dad in over 13 years. I was 17 when you sold me. You're now standing before me at 30. What if he'd have said, this is my moment. 
I'm in charge now. I get to call the shots now. See, I want to I want to leave you in a moment with the opportunity to respond, but how many times, don't raise your hand, but how many times when we have been wrong, how many times when the roles reverse, we call it karma. Anybody ever heard that word? See, when karma hits, how many times do we like to stand up and straighten our neckties and fix our jackets and, and, and Brother Jeff go, they deserved what was coming to them. Thought they got me, but look at who got who. Mm-hmm. Or how many times do when the roles reverse and we get to be the one, we think to ourselves, oh, this is my moment I've been waiting for. What if God did that? Joseph used God's mathematical formula. He took the amount of time God had forgiven Joseph of his wrongs done, and then he applied it to his brother's and when he computed it out, it came to a score of an even balance. All is forgiven. Tears streaming down his face, he looks at his brothers and says, But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He sent me ahead. See, God's mathematical equation says, You might have wronged me, but God has forgiven me way more of times than you. I could ever forgive you. So if I forgive you, that means he forgives me. So that means when I stand before heaven, God's going to look at me and say, Well, Jonathan, I had to forgive you 4,722 times. But you had to forgive Brother Randy only 292 times. So according to my mathematical equation, you're in the good. Welcome, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. There's no error. You're without spot and blemish. Because in God's computation, I am settled with my accounts in heaven. Settled. I've said it all the time. You can't make, you can't draw money out of a bank that you're in the negative end because you don't have money. Yet we want to ask God to let us have the treasuries of heaven when we've not deposited anything into the bank account of heaven. I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about other things. See, according to Max Licato in his book, you will get through this. He says this: You'll get through it, whatever season you're in. It won't be painless. It may not even be quick, but God will use your mess for good. In the meantime, do not be foolish or naive. Don't live in the land of despair. With God's help, he will make sure you get through this. So you might have had your feelings hurt recently, but God will get you through it. You may be mad right now, but God will get you through it. You may be angry. You may be bitter. You may be dealing with a situation, but God will get you through it. We must remember it doesn't have to end the way we see things right now. We're God's children. He has called us to so much more. Then I started thinking, the best in us can only be brought out by the worst done to us. You know how I know if you have faith? Not when you're on a mountain. You're in a valley. Because if you're on a mountain, you ain't got to trust nothing. Life's great. You got $3.8 billion in the bank. You're not really worried about if you need to go buy a pressure washer if you're going to be able to afford it. You just go buy it. But if you only got $380 in the bank and the pressure washer is $379.99 and you only going to have a penny left of your name after it's all said and done, you might be a little more worried about it. Or... If the paycheck didn't match what you thought it was, but you know you're supposed to pay your tithes, but you know your health insurance is coming out, but you're like, ooh, that's going to cut me close. So do I give to God or do I just make sure I have enough money to pay the health insurance? See, that's how I know if you live by faith, if you give God his first and let God take care of the rest. 
What if the computer just auto-generates it wrong and they give you it, it doesn't get to your house till the next week because somehow there was a glitch in the system. You can call it glitch all you want to. I call it God was looking out for you. Favor. Sometimes it's not fair, but it's nice to have. See, the best in us can only be brought out by the worst done to us. You know how oil is produced? It's a process. They take an olive, a nice, beautiful olive, so pretty hanging on the tree, so beautiful, so decorative. It's just like this nice, ornate ball just hanging there to give the tree definition and texture. And some ruthless, heartless, mean son of a gun of a person goes by that tree and he plucks all the olives off. He makes the tree look all barren and not so pretty anymore. And he takes those beautiful olives and he squishes the life out of them. He presses them, stomps on them, crushes them, literally mutates them beyond recognition to get an extract out of that olive. It has been pressed. It has been crushed. It has been separated from the vine. And really, it is useless at this point until it all gets beaten together. But once it's all beaten together, it produces something called oil. The Apostle Paul tells me in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, I am pressed, but not crushed. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, there might be times the Lord might put me in the vice grips of life. There might be times it gets uncomfortable, but what he's doing is he's extracting something better out of me in my worst time in me. See, the best, the reason, you know how people get anointing oil, they get anointed by God and receive that anointing from God? It is not because they just don't ever have any problems. No, they've walked to hell and back. They've walked with the devil hand in hand. They've looked at the devil many a times. They've had to live paycheck to paycheck. They've had to fight demons. They've had to fight hell and high waters, but they held to God's unchanging hand, and because they held on to the Lord, the Lord said, but he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. The only reason people want to say, oh, I want the anointing of brother so-and-so. You better be careful what you ask for because you don't know what they've walked through. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know the hell they've had to come out of. I'm telling somebody this morning that if God has started a work in your life, be faith thankful and faithful unto him who has started that work because the best in you can only be brought out by the worst that's done to you in this life. You cannot have oil till you've been crushed. You cannot have anointing till you've been pressed and struck down, but you won't be destroyed. For the Bible says he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I may be tried on every hand, but God, I might be tempted on every side, but God will not allow me to be taken home more than I can bear. He never said I won't be uncomfortable. He just said it won't finish me when it's all said and done. So I started thinking about this thing. I know how all y'all think. See, when unforgiveness is left alone, it starts to fester. It creates bitterness and animosity. Ephesians 4 says this, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which is like yelling, screaming, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice or evil. Then he goes on to say, But be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving Ephesians 4.32 go read it slap it on your bathroom mirror write it in indelible ink I don't care what you do with it but learn this verse if you've ever learned one be ye kind hearted tender hearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake forgave you 
because you deserve, they deserve the same treatment God gave you. Do unto others as you would have it be done unto you. So then I started thinking, some of y'all, how many over here is over the age of 50? Raise your hand. It's okay. Gray hair is a sign of glory, according to the Bible. You're just some wise folks in here. If you don't have gray hair and you're over 50, it's because you color it. We know. Don't lie. Miss Clairol makes you look prettier than you ever looked in your life. We know. Some of y'all remember these bottles. Y'all didn't have the nice little squeezable kinds now on the table that has the pop top and just squeezes out everywhere. No, you, some of y'all remember you had to beat the living snot out of this to get to the ketchup. And you almost cussed it out at the table. You left church on Sunday morning and, and you went to eat lunch and you tried to get that ketchup out of the bottle for your fries and you thought, God, I know I just left church, but I'm about to be unsaved. This ketchup better come out or me and this bottle's going rounds. Y'all know I am preaching now. Do you ever want to know if you saved? Get ketchup out that bottle. Especially if it's a brand new one. Because it's sealed. And when you pop the top, you hear this bop from the pressure. And you, and the, and the squeezable kind now, we just want to get it squeezed and just be like. And it comes out and we're like, oh, look, it's just a river of red living water right there. It just flows on my plate. Not this joker. No, sir. You turn that bottle up and it sat there like, and what? You, you want me to come out? Like, I'm not coming out. And your hand ain't big enough to go in. So who going to win this battle? Hello? Anybody know why Heinz put that label at the top? It wasn't because they needed to just seal the bottle. That is the pressure point of the bottle. Go back and research it. Heinz put those stickers at the top of the bottle because that's where they wanted you to hit the bottle to release the pressure off the side of the bottle to get it to flow. You can look at glass bottles. Heinz 57 has a sticker on it. Go back, go look at the glass Heinz 57 bottle. You will find on a Heinz 57 glass bottle, if you Google it, you'll see two stickers. You'll see the main label, and you'll see another sticker just randomly on a bottle. And you think, well, gosh, they didn't forgot who they were. They had to double-sided to make sure you know who it was. No. That's where they wanted you to hit it. Because when you would hit it in that symbol or in that area, what it would literally do, that strategic sticker, it created the perfect counter pressure, and what it did was loosen the pressure so that the liquid would flow out the side of that bottle. It was pressed. It was stuck. Some of us, when we don't forgive people, we are in a place of stuck. We can't get out of the mud, muck, and mire we're in. We're stuck in life. So sometimes God has to, ever so often, come along outside and give us. Any of y'all ever watch NCIS? Anybody? Y'all remember the character Leroy Jethro Gibbs? He was famous for the Gibbs slap. He'd slap the fool out the back of your head. He'd be like, what? Like you just wake up and all of a sudden you'd be like, oh, that makes sense now. Like, duh. My mom has that ability too. But, but the reality of it is, every so often when we get in seasons of being stuck, God ever so often has to just give us a little tap, like that bottle on the side, or tap on the back of the head. You know, we don't like to talk about God giving us a whooping from time to time, but sometimes God just has to slap us on the back of the head and say, come on, wake up. You know you're smarter than this. Don't be this dumb. Come on, wake up. You know that I have forgiven you. Come on, you know that you can't be mad at them forever. Come on, you know you got to forgive them. Come on, you know you got to look at the other side of the aisle. Sometimes God has to just give us that little tap on the back of the head and say, you know better than this. You know better. See, the reality of it is the best in us can only be brought out by the worst done to us. Matthew 7 says, seek, knock, and ask. See, the contents of forgiveness can be like that ketchup bottle. At first, it can seem slow because it's been suppressed for so long. 
And it's been under a lot of stress and duress and intense pressures. But when it's released, it changes the dynamic of everything in its path. Once you learn the power of forgiveness, just like that ketchup, when it hits that plate, it tastes better with those fries. It tastes better with those eggs. It, tastes, it makes everything you're about to eat with that taste better. It's the same way with forgiveness. Once you let it flow, everything in your life is different because of the power of forgiveness. And then finally, Ms. Carol, as you make your way, do you know that scripturally it is unforgivable to not forgive? See, everybody talks about there's only one unpardonable sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Everybody debates. Does that mean you're making fun of people speaking in tongues? Does that mean you're making fun of the Holy Spirit and saying that the works of God are satanic? Uh, you know, is it just completely becoming hard and callous to the gospel? And Everybody has their debate of what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is. I surmise to you there are two unforgivables. You don't forgive. If you, you don't, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's unforgivable and you can't go to heaven. But I tell you there's two of them because the second one is if you can't forgive, you don't go either. Now you say, well, Pastor, isn't that the same? No, no. Because I can lie. I can tell Sister Penelope a lie this morning and then call her this afternoon and say, Sister Penelope, I missed you guide you. I'm so sorry. Will you, will you uh, look over that charge? I'm so sorry. I lied to you today. See, I could lie and God could forgive me for lying. But if I don't still forgive her because of something she did to me last week, she might have forgave me for lying and everything's great about me lying. But that unforgiveness is still sitting down in my heart, so I'm still not going to heaven. See, you can't you can't cross the pearly gates if you can't walk in with your enemy right now. Listen to what I just said. You can't go through the pearly gates of glory if the person you got issues with right now and you died at the same time and y'all both stood before Simon Peter simultaneously, you couldn't grab them by the hand and say, let's go in here together. If you can't do that, you're not going in either. Hello? I mean, it's the reality. It's unforgivable to not forgive. I remember a story called one time of Corey Tim Boone. She was giving a speech in Munich, Germany. She gave this speech. She noticed there was a man sitting at the very back of the auditorium. He was bald-headed and an older man. She recognized him immediately because Corey Tim Boone was raised in a concentration camp. Her parents had been killed by the torturers. She was the lone survivor of her whole family in this concentration camp. She recognized that man in the back. That was one of the men that was one of the torturers in that, tra- in that camp. He didn't recognize her, but at the end of his speech, he went up to her and revealed that a few years earlier, he had met a man called Jesus since the day he was serving. And he said, you mentioned a place called Ravensbrook, which was a concentration camp. I worked there. He said, I don't know if you were there at the same time, but Jesus has already forgiven me. But since I know you were somebody that may have been through that camp, he said, can you forgive me? Now, listen to what he just asked. He asked the woman that she knew had killed her parents. He had killed her parents, had killed her brothers, had killed her whole family. He's wanting her to forgive. He's wanting her to forgive him of that. 
Corey Tim Boone said, I stood there for what seemed like hours, but it must have only been minutes. It felt like warm sensations over my body. I began to sweat and I began to feel clammy. I thought to myself, how could I for what you've done to me? She said, the hardest thing I ever did was as that warm sensation flowed from my head to my shoulders to my arms to my fingers. All of a sudden, without even thinking, I don't know what happened, but my hand reached out. And when it touched his, it was like an electrical current went through my body. And instantaneously, I knew God had done a work. That's power. That's power. Then my mind went, some of you will remember, 2015. I was serving in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Early that particular morning, a young man left Columbia, South Carolina, drove past exit 149, 145, and 154 of Orangeburg and kept making his commute down to a place called Charleston, South Carolina. He parked his car and he walked into the Emanuel Church in downtown Charleston. And with people gathering there to pray and have Bible study, massacred nine people, just took him out like that. And his name was Dylan Roof. One of those men, one of those people that was in there was a young lady whose son was a freshman baseball star at CSU. When, was in, when he was asked about the feelings he felt, Storm, about someone walking in with his mama's Bible study and killing her in cold blood, you know what Chris Singleton said? I forgive him because God has to forgive him too. That's power. Then I remember... Back when I was in college, a man by the name of Dan Thomas Davis and a man by the name of Grant Ringenberg. They were two baseball stars at Charleston Southern University. But at the Russell Horseshoe building, they got in an argument over a girl and Dan Thomas shoved Grant Ringenberg, who had his hands in his pocket. He fell backwards and hit his head on a concrete slab began to bleed out. Instead of calling the authorities and walking off, arguing over this girl, Dan went back and began to kick him unmercifully till people pulled him off. Within minutes, 19-year-old Grant Rickenberg died and succumbed to his injuries. A few months later, at his trial for Dan Thomas, right before sentencing, the judge asked, did anybody from the Grant Renningberg family have anything to say? The mother and father got out of their seat in the back of the courtroom, walked to the front, and asked, could they speak? And the, office, the judge said, sure. They stood in front of the defense table before they sentenced him and looked at Dan Thomas and said, you are young and have your whole life ahead of you. You were only 17 when this happened because he was a, uh, graduated a little early. You're not even an adult yet. You don't want this to ruin your life. You took our son. But we don't want to take someone else's son. We forgive you. God didn't want us to lose ourselves, so he gave us his son instead and stood before the panels. And Jesus stands before heaven now saying, God, I don't want them to die and go to hell, so I did it for him instead. I did it instead. And when they finished, they turned to the judge and they said these words, please be merciful in his sentencing. Instead of being charged with murder, being sentenced to life in prison, he got manslaughter in only 10 to 15 years so that he, before he turned 30 years old, would get out and have a life again. That's power. <laughs> I'm not so sure I could do that. 
you kill Brianna or you kill Micah, I'm probably killing you. I'm just telling you. That's power. See, unforgiveness, bitterness, pain. I'm going to leave you with this. Romans 18, 12 and 18 says this. As it's all possible in all manner, live at peace with one another. We're all imperfect. We all have our shortcomings. We all make our mistakes. For some of us in this building, it's time to let it go. Ain't nobody killed your mama or your daddy, more than likely. They probably haven't done some impardonable thing because you don't want God to put that on your timeline of heaven when you stand before him. So if you don't want to see that screen when you go to heaven, you better hope you can see this screen this morning before you leave. You better learn to let it go. You have got to let it go. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm only going to do this for a moment because we have a small business meeting we need to address before this service is over. But I'm going to ask somebody, ask you one time, past, pastor's request. You say in this house, pastor, I've got some things in my life I have been struggling with. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's a hang-up. Maybe it's a anger issue. Maybe you're mad at somebody and you say, Pastor, I've got some things in my life I need to let go of. I need to forgive somebody. I need to let go of some addictions. I need to let go of some things in my life. I need help from God. I need to let it go. And I know God can do it. Will you slip your hand up? No one looking around but me and Jesus. Where are you? Yes, 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 yes. Here's what I want to do. Nobody knows what reason you raised your hand, so they won't know. But if you raised your hand, I want you to come stand beside me this morning, just to my right and to my left. Just come stand right beside me. I'm up here too because I'm not perfect. I have things I need. Just stand beside me. Brother Mike, you stand right beside me. Chris, wherever, just stand right beside me. If you raise your hand, just make a line right beside me. Face them. Beside me. Any others? I don't want you to miss your moment. If you raise your hand, this is your moment. I don't want you to miss it. If you raise your hand and say you've got some things you've got to let go of and some things you need to fix, you better move now because God may not promise you tomorrow. You may not get tomorrow to fix it. What if God called your name right now? What you going to do? What you going to do? Because if God called some of our names right now, we ain't going to heaven if we ain't let some things go in our lives. Now you look at this row in front of me. These are the people that I'm not going to let the devil win. I'm going to stand in the gap with them. I ain't going to let the devil get them. I don't know what they, they may have, I don't know what question they raised their hand to, but they raised it to something that they said, I need God. And they came to the right place because he's here. They picked the right day to come. So everybody, if you just grab hands beside me this morning, just grab the person's hand beside you. I'm going to take it front there. Now here's what I need you to do. If you're physically able, I need you to stand all over this house. Maybe you and God are good. Maybe you don't have any unforgiveness or bitterness or hurt in your life. But some of us up here, we've got some things in our lives we need God's help with to let some things go. We don't want to go to hell. We want to make sure that God can forgive us of our sins. So we want to make sure we take care of our business with other people. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, before we pray our benedictory prayer for Brother Randy.
I'm going to ask you to stretch your hands this way and I want you to pray like if it meant something to you. It might be your family, it might be your friend, I don't know. Will you help me pray today? Heavenly Father, there are things in our lives that sometimes hold us back and hold us captive, but we have to let it go. And we can't hold it back anymore. We've got to let it go. We've got to let go of the hurt, the pain, the frustration, the isolation, the bitterness, the animosity. We have got to let it go. Father, I pray for every man, woman, boy, or girl standing in the, this auditorium today. God, whatever the reason these men and women standing beside me have raised their hand, do not let them go today without hearing the voice of the Lord speak ever so gently and calmly that you have forgiven them, but they likewise must take care of their own business and let go of some things in their lives too so that you can let go of the transgressions they've done. Father, I pray a blessing over them, and I pray the devil wouldn't remind, Lord, the devil's going to come this week and try to tell them, oh, God can't do it, God didn't do it, but God, you remind them that the devil has already been defeated and God is still on the throne and God is still in control. The devil is nothing more than a liar and, a, and just an imitator and just likes to, to create images that makes us think he's more powerful than he is. But God is an overcomer and we are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We have been made more than an overcomer today. Father, we're asking you to do a work that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. And the people of God said amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Let me say to you before Brother Randy comes to prayer, our benedictory prayer. If you are a faithful attender of this church and support this church, I need to just have a quick five-minute meeting to ask you about a proposal that we are wanting to get your input on. It takes five minutes to do so. Uh, it won't be long, so if you would just remain seated after he prays, I'm going to step to the back door long enough just to speak to the first-time guests before they leave out, and I'll come right back to present this. It takes literally five minutes, but we do have something we want to uh, present to this body to ask your opinion on and, and, and informational items on as well. I'm going to ask Brother Randy to pray our benedictory prayer, and then you are dismissed. Brother Randy.